Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And I feel like if each person feels they understand how to move forward, both professionally and personally within the business, then I think we're all headed in the right direction. And so that's what we're trying to get from the team, that we all have the same vision, but we all know how to move forward together as well. Welcome to Think Business with Tyler, sharing our methods and strategies for success. Join in on our conversations with business owners as we highlight their triumphs and detail how they overcame the challenges they faced while continuing to grow and scale their business. It's time to think life, think success, and think business with your host, Tyler Martin. Hey, thanks for listening to another episode of the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. Our guest today is Sean Roden. Sean is the co-founder and CEO of Tailored Search. Now, I'm super excited to share this episode with you. Sean shares several gold nuggets that I think you're going to get a lot of takeaways from. In this episode, we talk about what you absolutely need to nail before you start the hiring process. The one critical item needed to develop a high-performing team and tough changes in your business are oftentimes necessary to grow. And Sean shares an example of one he had to deal with in his business and it was a real challenge and a big decision. Turned out as a good move, but it was a tough decision. This episode is jam-packed with business wisdom and tips for building a great team. I think you're going to really enjoy this. So let's chat with Sean now. Hey, Sean, thanks so much for being on the Think Business with Tyler podcast show. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. Now, you're in the staffing arena, which is close to my heart. I used to have a staffing firm. So I'm really excited to find out a little bit. Can you share with us what you do and, and the company that you run? Yeah, excited to be here. So a little bit about, I think, myself and my firm. So I'm the CEO and, and senior partner for uh, Taylor Search. We are a boutique recruitment firm that specializes in supporting primarily tech startups and their scalability and partnership within their GTM segment of their business. So go to market. Agnostic in kind of the, the trade and field of those tech startups. So from MarTech, FinTech, HealthTech, and so on. But you know, exciting as of the start of this year as well, we expanded to the contract side of our business. So since uh, the first of this year, we're also doing contract as well as direct hire. Very cool. Great market to be in right now. Mm-hmm. You staffing and finding people jobs as well as placing them with the right companies. Obviously, a very robust market. I want to talk with you about that a little bit in a moment. Before I do, I want to just kind of talk a little bit about your business. How long have you been in business for? Yeah. So Tailored Search has been in business about two and a half years. Very nice. So we started just before the pandemic, actually. Yeah. Now, I mean, that must have 
thrown a little bit of a curveball in terms of starting just before the pandemic. What were your thoughts as you go into a new business and then all of a sudden the pandemic hits? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's like, you know, getting off and running November and then all of a sudden, you know, five months later, you know, the world kind of goes on pause. But, you know, we stayed true to the clients that we had. We delivered to the partnerships that, that we committed to. Those partnerships referred just a few more and it kept us afloat during the kind of uncertainty. And we felt like, you know, after maybe eight to 10 months in that space of just kind of keeping afloat, we just wanted to put the pedal to the metal and just move forward. And so we just haven't looked back since. Now, for the folks that don't really know a lot about how the staffing industry works, could you kind of walk us through without giving any proprietary information? How does the business model work for you guys? Um, So I think that's a really good question. It's the chicken or the egg, right? Is it the candidate or the client? I think that's a really good question. I think, to be honest with you, a really good staffing firm is mindful about both. So really, our business model is to first and foremost, deliver to the partnerships that we currently have. So if you have a client partnership, then that is our commitment to making sure that we're a sustainable business. Our partnerships are uh, many times very exclusive. Our clients are not using another firm. So we are delivering to the expectations of that client and acting as an extension to their recruitment firm or to, to their internal recruitment process. From there, you know, we rely on our name and our brand for what we've delivered for a referral for net new business, or many of the candidates that we talk to are really decision makers themselves. And so I think in that ecosystem of referral and partnership with candidate, we find our ability to kind of continue to expand our business. And then a few name drops here and there with some of our clients can net us a few more. So that has bode well for us in terms of you know how we grow and scale that, that client and that candidate side. When you say uh, oftentimes you're exclusive, is that by contractual agreement or is that just kind of an agreement you have with the client based on past performance and relationship you have with them? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. You know, I think there's two ways to go about it. And I think the two ways that you kind of asked are, are, are good ways to approach it. But I think ultimately, you understand where your client is coming from when they're in the recruitment process. And especially with working with tech startups, if you get in with them early, you know, I think at the end of the day, they don't have a full internal recruitment model. And they don't want to be wasting their time with multiple vendors, because at the end of the day, they want to scale with a with a partner that understands them. So I think the reality is, is most of it is not contractual. It's understanding and getting in at the right time and then letting them know that the reality is we don't onboard every client we talk to. We onboard the clients that will have a consistent partnership and need. And we find that through our vetting process ourselves, us and the client are both looking for the same thing. Yeah. I love the way you you said that. And honestly, the reason I asked that question is that when I used to have a staffing firm, that was how we got our exclusives. It was really about understanding the client. And it wasn't necessarily a contractual thing. It was just they really saw that we could deliver and, and there was a tight rapport there. And it didn't make sense for them to just have a wide yeah. variety of vendors. So it's cool that you, I like that you see that because I, I find in staffing, a lot of times staffing firms don't intuitively see that benefit of really dialing into their client and they kind of use a very shotgun approach. And so they're Uh kind of just okay to a lot of companies rather than an expert to their really good relationships. That's interesting. I love that answer. Great answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, to be honest with you, it puts a lot of pressure on us as well, because if a client is exclusively using you as a, as their provider, then you really have to deliver. Right. And so your name becomes kind of either known for one of two reasons, right? Uh, Not being able to execute or being the brand that, that got them to where they are now. 
And we have a saying at Tailored that we take companies from a garage to IPO, right? And I think that's really our intention. Follow them all the way through the process. That's very cool. So now I want to talk about, I want to help the audience. You're an expert in staffing, placing people, providing talent to companies. So I want to talk a little bit about what you're seeing in the marketplace. Is this still a marketplace that's really favoring employees? What are you seeing right now? Yeah. So the market has shifted probably in the last 12 months or so in terms of the needs that businesses are having. They were blindly hiring 12 months ago because the need to just get people in. Now, companies are still scaling and growing, but they've become more accustomed to what works for them and what that marketplace looks like. But the reality is, I think for a very long time, it's going to favor the employee. There's just always going to be, at least in the next 12 months that I can see, a shortage of really good talent and a shortage of niche talent. And that's now what clients are looking back at. They were open to you know, the flexibility of skill sets, being agnostic to where the candidate is coming from because they just needed almost a body, if that made sense, where now they know what they need and they're looking for that. And so even more so, I think the need to find really good talent with that ideal background is going to favor the employee for a while. Very cool. What would be your recommendation in terms outside of hiring you guys? What would be your recommendation for a company to find great people? I mean, are there some things that you see employers make mistakes in terms of being able to acquire really good people or things they could do to improve? Yeah. I think the first thing that that we see companies struggle with when they're in the process of interviewing candidates is by the time they get to the finish line, they make changes to what it is that they thought they wanted. They use the interview process as a way to vet out what it is that they're looking for versus really taking an intrinsic look before they even start that process. And I think that's a really good way to lose uh, your brand sense in the market for candidates looking for work because candidates are going to mention that in the social media space that they had a bad experience, right? Also, I think that's going to make it more difficult for hiring managers to have to see so many people and then having to make an adjustment about what they're looking for, what the business thinks they're looking for, and then start all over again. So my suggestion to companies that are looking to hire and want to fill headcount, know what you're looking for, know what you want before you start that process. What would you expect? Let's do it both for permanent placement and then contract placement. Client says, hey, I want to get a direct hire, permanent placement employee in the seat. Yeah. What is a reasonable time frame in your mind when someone starts thinking about adding, in this case, a technical, because that's your expertise, but what's a reasonable time frame for fulfilling that? So if a client came to us, let's assume it's a client that we've worked with before, but they said, okay, we're ready to, to turn on the spout for you know an account executive, uh, a sales role within our space, within our industry. I would let them know that if they're coming to us knowing that that's our level of expertise, then they should be able to pull the trigger like within a week time. Any longer than that, the reality is, is they're going to be competing with other companies. And if they're prepared to do that, then they better be coming right guns blazing when they're ready to make that offer. <laughs> Any shorter than that, right, then the expectation is that you know they're just looking to fill a seat. So I think the reality is, is uh, one to two weeks is I think a reasonable time frame. You know, let's make sure that we're not asking the candidate to jump to through too many hoops, but we want to give the candidate the opportunity to kind of meet the right decision makers, right? Who's going to be their manager? Who's going to have oversight in this process? So I would say like two to three interviews over a two-week span is ideal. Okay. What about now if we go over to the contract side, temporary employment, what would a timeline look like that for, for getting someone into a seat? 
Yeah, the market is super tight. So anything more than 48 to 72 hours, then we're probably just going to be turning and spinning our wheels. Really? Good candidates are always interviewing, have a lot of prospects. Um, I hear it all the time when I send an in-mail to a candidate and I'm headhunting. They're like, hey, look, I overlooked 10 messages and I looked at yours and I decided to respond. You know, they're they're getting hit up all the time and their inboxes are full. So you just got to be able to to just be prepared to pull the trigger when you find somebody you like. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting too. So do you have that happen where you're investing time? It sounds like you have pretty tight relationships with your clients. So perhaps this doesn't come up, but do you find ideal candidates and maybe your client isn't moving as fast as you want? And unfortunately, that candidate has already gone in a different direction. Does that happen very often? It happens way more often than you hope it would, right? Um, even if sure. with good relationships, like if a manager is going on vacation and it's like, oh, they started the process and all of a sudden they mention they're going on vacation, they, they're going to be off a Thursday and a Friday. They can't do anything that Monday when they get back. That alone, right, can you know kind of stifle the interview process for their number one candidate. Yeah. So yeah, I think that you really need to map out a good plan to placement before you get started or both sides of the aisle are going to be kind of spinning their wheels a little bit more than they want. Yeah. Yeah. It always blows me away when I don't recall when I was running a staffing firm, I don't know if it was this robust. There were definitely some really time periods that, you know, it was a hot candidate market, but coming out of COVID, it seems like it's on a whole nother level and it just puts pressure on staffing firms because you want to deliver, but you're, your main main inventory item is in short supply. So it's kind of, yeah. or, or high demand, depending on how you want to look at it. It's really, really kind of tough. It must be stressful. It is. And and look, the product that we're talking about has a mind of their own and has feelings and emotions, right. you know? Right. And so, you know, it's like, because of the market we're in, we're in a very transactional environment. Yeah. But we're talking about a human being that is looking to improve their life, grow professional skills, enjoy the culture that they're going to be a part of, need to be convinced to make the move. And so there's a lot of intricate components that go into it. And so you just can't forget that you know we are dealing with people on both sides of the aisle, candidate and client. And so you know you talked about it, but relationships are absolutely key. And candidates, look, at the end of the day, you want the candidate to feel as if we are in their corner the entire time, looking out for their best interest. And that, that we got to make sure that we put that first. Yeah. And you really are too, because you really want to win-win. So it's, but you're right. You kind of have to keep positioning that and reminding. So I want to, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about your, your business in terms of uh, more like business wisdom, some challenges you face. I'd, I'd love to just start out what are some challenges that you faced when you first started your business? Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, I think that when we first got started, we just weren't sure what our voice was. You know, we got started by just getting started. And look, I think for any entrepreneur, anybody kind of getting started, you, you know, you can take two different approaches to your business. You can overthink it or you can just do it. And I think in either perspective, you're going to have challenges. It's just which kind. And so that was the challenge for us. We just got started. And so there was a few mistakes that I think we made along the way that we just had to pause and realize that instead of continuing to try to like sand it down or buff it out, you just kind of had to start from scratch and and do it again. And had to be okay with just saying, hey, we're going to scrap that. It's not working for us. I'm not going to add a little widget to that or a little kind of doohickey to it. I'm just going to do it again and make it for what we need it to be. 
So yeah, I think we, you know, I think now it's the perspective of what would we have liked to have done and just take a little bit more time to invest on who we want to sound like and who we want to be. So that way it was very apparent from the start. Right. Now you also made some, I think, CRM type choices when you first started out and then you realized, yeah. hey, maybe we're going in a different direction. Can you share that story and just what you learned from it? Because I think that's something a lot of businesses, when we first start out, we kind of have this vision, we go in one direction. And, then, and I think you were really astute in that you course corrected. Sometimes we don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it was interesting. From day one, we knew that processing within the, in any sales environment is always kind of a, an accelerator to the business, right? And so we wanted to make sure we had a good CRM in place from day one. So we bought probably the most robust CRM that you can get on the system. Bells and the whistles that, to be honest with you, made it overbearing and overwhelming for anybody that we brought in and hired to want to implement. You know, we're not a big team. And so we didn't have a developer to make the customizable changes. And to be honest with you, we just kept on bringing in people that were like, I'm wasting my time inputting activities into the CRM that isn't driving my business forward, isn't helping me manage to expectations. And we had been invested to the CRM, I think for almost, almost two years. Literally, it was like a year and a half that we just decided it wasn't helping our business moving forward. So we had an option. We could hire a developer and change all these bells and whistles and customize it. Or we could just go out to market and say, let's just find one that meets our needs. I mean, after a year and a half of doing business, we scrapped a CRM that we were slightly invested with for one that really was going to accommodate our business needs. And it was the best change that we, I think, systematically made because you now have people that are like, this is helping me better perform, um, giving me more confidence in managing my data. Um, where before it was honestly just a, a chore and a task. So yeah, that was a big change for us. And it was a little scary, right? To invest in something for so long, both financially and mentally, and then just say, you know what? We just need to do something that's good for the business. Hey, this is Tyler. Oftentimes, business owners and entrepreneurs hire me because they are stuck. Their business is stuck. They've hit a wall and can't take their business to the next level. And they're frustrated. When I grew my second business, it took me a while to get the pieces to fit. But once they did, the business scaled fast. In fact, it grew to $25 million in annual revenue and ultimately sold for eight figures. So I decided to put together a roadmap for scaling a business. I want to help stuck business owners that want to scale but are having challenges. It's called the Scale in 5 Roadmap. And you can get a copy by doing the following. Text the number 55 444 and type the word scale and hit send. A copy of the roadmap will be sent to your inbox. Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. So yeah, that was a big change for us. And it was a little scary, right, to invest in something for so long, both financially and mentally, and then just say, you know what, we just need to do something that's good for the business. Yeah. Well, I applaud you because it would have been very easy just to stay the course. And I mean, I've seen some businesses 10, 15 years down the line, they have these legacy systems that yeah. just aren't 
aren't good for the business, but they're so invested and married to them, they, in their mind, they cannot pull away and it, it affects their growth. Yeah, it really does. And you think about, you know, time is money. You know, we talk about it's not just the time of that sales process, but it's the amount of time people are investing to do this job. You know, we're a company that promotes flexibility and autonomy. Like I want to give my recruiters as much work-life balance and as much stress-free living. And if the business is causing more angst, right, then we're not doing our job. So uh, we had to make that change. So in terms of your business, you know, I love how you brought up processes. Usually companies, new businesses actually don't think that way. So that's really, you guys were kind of ahead of the game. How much do you drive your business around KPIs, key performance indicators? Do you, is that an element of your business? Do you drive whether that be on a business level or a staff level? Do those play in at all? Yeah, so it's, that's actually a really good question for us. Because as a boutique firm, we want to know, okay, what sets us aside from those staffing firms that are just machines, right? Yeah. Just crushing the industry in terms of having such a large segment of, of the business out there. And our unique proposition as a boutique is that the reality is, is you know, we're not going to drive you for things that are just unnecessary for the sake of managing you, right? Sure. And so I think the reality is, is we do manage the KPIs, but those KPIs are outputs versus inputs. Everyone we hire, we either train to the expectation and then we trust them, or we hired them because of their skill set and then we trust them. So we don't have really any KPIs that we're managing on an input basis. There is a promotion process that we put in place how to get promoted and grow within our business. And we let that recruiter decide on one KPI they want to be accountable to. So it's not my choice. You know, do you want it to be X, Y, Z? Like what KPI will help you? drive your business that you want me to hold you accountable to. And that's the one KPI we hold them accountable to for a promotion, not for their day-to-day. And then everything else is, are we delivering to the client? That's really the question that we ask every day. Is our client getting what it is that they need? And if they're not, then we just work backwards. What are we missing? What do we need to do more of? What do you need help with? Versus starting from the beginning of how many phone calls are you making and how many of this are you doing? Because we just feel like people don't feel professional development if we only talk about the things that I think almost anybody could be held accountable to. Right. That's interesting. That's cool. Now, do you do you on a business level, on a leadership level, do you have like KPIs in terms of how you manage the business? Or do you kind of have the same approach in terms of how you look at it from a business level? Yeah. A little bit of both. I think that as a leader, I want to envision the way I operate and manage the business and the way that my business partners manage it are the same way that we manage people. Right? We want to manage like fluid. You know, it's kind of one and the same. We manage the people the way we manage our business. So not as much KPIs, but what we do manage is, is our clients getting the delivery that we need? And then we look at ratios. How many submissions does our client want? How many hires do they want? Okay, how much activity is needed to get there? What do our mm-hmm. ratios look like? And so we may drive a contest to drive a certain KPI, right? And so we're like, hey, look, we're a little short here. And so the reality is, is, let's put some money on the table to get everyone motivated to be thinking more about this because we know that ratio will increase our kind of our output. Yeah, that's very cool. So what's your, what would you say your leadership style is? Not just you, but business-wise. And do does the staff have input? What sounds like what I'm getting, gleaning based on your KPI answer, sounds like you try to create autonomy within your, your business on a staff level. What does that look like, leadership and just staff input? Yeah, I think staff, at the, it was actually the staff that told us to scrap our CRM, right? So <laughs> I awesome. think that they get a lot of, uh, they get a voice within the business. And I think that's necessary because they're, you know, 
they're an intricate part of what we do. But I think my leadership style, you know, works in some ways. And then I have business partners that kind of cater to the the things that I lack. Um, and so you surround yourself with good people. But in general, I think it's it's really empathy and empowering that has worked best. I think when people feel trusted, they deliver on a more consistent basis and they deliver with genuine intention. I mean, I think if they're genuine with their execution, I think we get more, we get more outcomes from our clients and our candidates. I think they, they say things like, I've enjoyed this process, right? Versus thanks so much for the hire at the end of the day. You know, that's it. It's just a transaction. It's like, I've enjoyed this experience. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this again with you. And we only get that when I think our, if our recruiters are fully invested to what they're doing. Yeah. About once a year, I read the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's one of my favorite books. And the foundation of it is about trust. And you brought up trust a couple of times. How do you build that trust with your team? Like, what do you do? Are there conscious things that you do? Is it just doing what you're saying you're going to do? But how do you build the trust? Yeah. So I think that's that's a, a really good point because I think some people perceive trust differently. Yeah. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I think being a leader, consistency is key. And that means, you know, being able to execute what you said you were going to do for sure. But I think it's more being consistent and being true to who you are. Like my, my team knows what I expect of them, but they also know where I'm going to support them. It's not like it's, you know, blindsiding them is never a good way to build trust, right? So I think that piece of it, but also, I think a good leader is a good storyteller, you know, able to motivate people with things that sometimes they just don't want to hear that they know, but they kind of sometimes want to like overlook because it's a tough thing to hear. But if you can tell them something that, you know, is really tough to swallow, that tough pill to swallow, but make them realize that at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. This is something that means something to all of us. How is our client feeling when, you know, we're not delivering this? How are, is our candidate feeling when we're not giving them consistent feedback and follow-up? Sometimes being able to just kind of get them to buy into what you're saying by the way you say it is probably a vital component to being a leader. And look, I think there's a big difference between a leader and entrepreneur, right? And that's why it's sometimes having a good team around you that will kind of balance out what you may be lacking. Because at the end of the day, an entrepreneur isn't going to be all things to the business and neither is a leader. And so I think having, having those people to balance you out and support you in that growth. Yeah, that is so cool that you have the self-awareness in terms of dividing, having other people support maybe where your quote unquote weaknesses are or areas maybe you're not your strengths. I think that's just great self-awareness for you to be so, so early on in your journey. That, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I don't think I came to that realization on my own. You know, It's having mm -hmm. somebody that was a mentor, a teacher that even in some instances, maybe I would never say, you know, I, that's the person I phone call when I actually need advice, but stopping a minute and saying, I, I learned something from that interaction. And you do that, you start kind of taking things with you. You all of a sudden look down, and you have a pretty robust tool belt. You know, you're no longer going to the construction site with just a hammer and a screwdriver. You're kind of better equipped if you're taking things with you along that way. Yeah, so true. So we got two, just two part question. I'd love to know what are your dreams for the business? And then and that might be five, 10 years out. And then what do you envision is the biggest challenge in scaling to that dream? Yeah. So 
I think a dream for myself and some of my business partners is to really feel like we're an equitable part in the ecosystem that we're a part of. You know, we don't want to be just a recruiting firm. We want to be a partner within an industry that's thriving and growing, right? We want to be seen as an equal player into the space where our clients are sitting. And I think that is going to take some time. That's both a branding perspective, and it's also just making a name for who we are and what we do. And I think um, I have a couple business partners that are doing a fantastic job of really building relationships and getting clout and equity within the clients that we are a part of that help with that vision. And ultimately, what I'd like to be able to say is I like to be able to say that, you know, from VC to, you know, board, executive board membership to players within the startup space that we're known through kind of a, a golden line of, of all of those kind of decision makers within this process. And that we can kind of come to the table as, as a, a small boutique firm that is really working with and playing with the best of companies. And, you know, I'm, I'm very proud to say that, you know, three of the clients that are in our portfolio are unicorns within the business where, you know, we start very early with them and we scale and we, we become a business partner. And, you know, there's some of the biggest names that that are in the tech space today. That's awesome. Now, what do you envision in terms of scaling to that? What are some challenges in being able to do that in your mind? Yeah, I think the way to get there is making sure that everyone's bought into that in the business, right? Every conversation that we have, that includes candidates. I can't imagine you not making a candidate feel as if we are a real decision maker and a consultant within the industry and space, and that they feel like we're just a recruiter trying to, to get our commission, right? Or just trying to kind of get this deal done. So every conversation, and of course, that's going to go with clients as well. But if we can hire people that are of the same mindset, that really want to be a part of you know something that is meaningful within our client space and within this space, then I think we're doing a good job of of attracting the right people. And that's hard because of the people that I've hired, 90% of them I've worked with in my career before. I know what their work ethic was. And as I start to hire people that I've never worked with before, it's trusting that we're hiring the right mindset, right? And that right scalability. And what's interesting is we vet that all day long for our clients. And then yet feeling very confident that that is something that we can vet for ourselves. That's something that I think we are working on, right? And we are kind of trying to grow on. Yeah, it's true. It's so much when you have, it's the classic thing of recruiting is you have relationships with people that you bring in, they're a known commodity. And then as you're trying to expand the family, if you will, they're unknown until you try to do your best to interview for it and feel it out. But there's, it's not a perfect science. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what's great, like, you know, there's there's people that we've hired that, to be honest with you, I'm very proud of the diverse team that we've built. Um, The diversity in both where they've come from and their perspective. And I think as we continue to grow, it's really important that we keep that. But there's a common thread that their intention, right, is to grow within that vision that we have as a business to be really a stakeholder within the startup ecosystem. Love it. Love it. So I got one more question for you before we wrap up. I always love to end with a, a business or a life tip. If you have one that you could share with us that we could apply and uh, hopefully either make our life or our business better. Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think for us, a great tip in our business that we've we've seen to really improve the way we execute is over the last, I would say, six to 12 months, we've talked a lot about 
our motto and our mission as a business. But just realizing now we have to talk more about our movement. And it's really, as a team, how do we execute some of these things? You know, we talk, we've recently had a brainstorming session that talked about who do we want to be and who do we want our clients to know us as. But then we don't talk about how to kind of execute those things as each individual member. And so now it's no longer mission and motto, but it's mission, motto, and movement, kind of how to move forward and what each piece of the puzzle is responsible for in doing that. And I feel like if each person feels they understand how to move forward, both professionally and personally within the business, then I think we're all headed in the right direction. And so that's what we're trying to get from the team, that we all have the same vision, but we all know how to move forward together as well. Love it. That's a great one. Hey, so your website is tailoredsearch.com, tailoredsearch.com, T-A-I-L-O-R-E-D, search.com. I'll put it in the show notes, thinktyler.com. They'll be in the show notes there. If, if the audience wanted to reach out to you, anywhere else you'd like them to go? Yeah, so we're just building our online presence. So, you know, we have an Instagram, um, we have a Twitter in addition to um, our website. But I would say reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Sean Roden. Find me on LinkedIn. Let's connect and, and have a conversation if you guys feel as if I said anything that, you know, you want to con- kind of talk further about. Yeah, great. Thanks, Sean. Well, you've been an awesome guest. You've got a lot of wisdom. Love to have you back someday. I really appreciate you being here. Tyler, I appreciate the time. It's been great having this conversation and um, you know, best of luck to, to you and your podcast. Thanks, thanks. Thanks, sir. That's all for this episode of Think Business with Tyler. But we have plenty more resources to help you in your pursuit of business excellence on our website at thinktyler.com. If you'd like to be featured in a future episode of the show, feel free to reach out to us on social media at think underscore Tyler. We look forward to helping you think life, think success, and think business. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.